Corey Kent. Yeah, hey. Can you throw that in for me? Thanks, buddy. Praise God. How's everybody doing? Hey, Brad and Jen are awesome. Can you give them a hand? They do a lot of stuff behind the scenes, and uh, they serve uh, music ministry as kind of music administrators. They help me in, uh, a tremendous amount, and I just really appreciate them. And every now and then, you just got to let everybody know it, right? Well, if you remember a couple of Wednesdays ago, I shared a message called The Why and the What. Do you remember being there for that? We talked about how you remember in school you learned that when you're reporting a story, there's always a who, what, where, when, and why. And those are kind of the basics. That's what the news you know, seeks to report on. And so what we did was, in a roundabout way, we kind of made the comparison that our lives are really like a story. Because there's an author who is God himself. He has a unique plan. He knew about you before you were ever conceived. And he's been about that plan since the beginning of time. And, and so we know that he is writing that story. But like a great book, you don't always know how it's going to end. You don't know the specifics. You don't know what's going to happen from chapter to chapter. And so we find ourselves realizing that our story is a life. And naturally, what do we want to know? Who, what, where, when, why? We want to know who God's going to use and when it's going to happen and where it's going to happen. And, and so it's very natural for us to seek those things. But some people can become just literally sidelined in life because of needing the answers to those questions before they're willing to just step out and follow God. He didn't ask us to come up with all the solutions to our life. He just asked us to follow him. And so we talked about the who, what, where, when, and why. And, and what we basically came to was that there are two W's that you can have. There's two W's that you can do a lot of damage, a good damage, by, by focusing on. And the first is the why. And the why is really, what is your story about? I mean, why are you, why am I on this earth? Why are we here? Why do we follow God? Why do we do what we do? And, and the why we talked about is really your perspective. It's really an eternal perspective that if you really want to enjoy the life that God's called you to live, you have to realize that your life is not just about what we see. It's not just about what we experience with our senses. It's not just about what we think, but it's about a bigger story that we're a part of. And tonight we're going to talk about an epic story. And, and so the why is very important to pursue. And those are questions that we can ask God, God, why am I here? What, why is it that you've called me to do this? What, and, and what we learn is the big why for all of us is an eternal perspective. Life becomes valuable. Life becomes interesting. Life becomes fulfilling when we are day by day living with an eternal perspective that says that the things that I'm dealing with today are not just about today, but they have weight forever. In fact, I was just counseling a couple a week ago, and it was a very poignant moment and where we stood and looked in the eyes and said, do you realize that the decision that you're making right now or this week will affect generations of people? I mean, that, the, the reality of that, when you let that set in, it's like, whoa, there's an eternal reality that we are called to. And so what happens is when we begin to pursue God and we, when we get our, wrap our minds around that eternal why, well, then the what becomes much more significant. All of a sudden, the what God has put in your hand, the what he has called you to, the, it, it all of a sudden becomes significance because it's not just about what I think. It's not just about what I'm good at or what I'm not good at, we realize that the what that he has given us has everything to do with the why. And so you learn that that job that you've been trying to run away from, you find out is actually a part of God's training process for you. And you find out that that neighbor you can't stand to live next to, turns out that's your mission field. And God's going to use you to change their life. And he's going to use them to change your life. And all of a sudden you find out that the what becomes very significant when eternity is at stake. And so we talked about the why and the what. Those are two things that as we begin to move out in those things, then God begins to reveal in right timing. He begins to reveal the where 
and the when and the who. And the best part is, is as you embrace the why and the what, what happens is you begin to walk in the ways of God. And what we learned is as you walk in the ways of God, you find yourself in the will of God. So instead of wondering, well, what's the will of God today? What, should I go right or should I go left? Well, how about what if we just commit to walking in the ways of God that we already know and trust that he's going to lead and guide our steps and we're going to find ourselves in the center of the will that God has for us. So that's what we talked about. And so we talked about this story that, that is our life. But tonight we're talking about a bigger story and that's God's story. It's an epic story. And that's where we leave tonight. You know, there's, uh, you can always kind of tell the core themes about human beings by the kinds of things that we consume in media. So the kinds of shows that are out there, many times you can complain about them, but really what they are is they're exactly what people want, you know? And so what we find is, and this happens in good ways and in bad ways, but I was thinking about some of the shows that I've enjoyed over time. They're not maybe the most popular shows right now at the moment, but some of the shows that I remember just had a really a mass attraction with people was like Extreme Home Makeover. You remember that one, Move That Bus? And Biggest Loser was another one, right? And what was another one that we had? Well, I wrote it down and now I'm forgetting. Oh, one of my favorites, American Restoration. You guys know that show? I like that one. That's kind of more of a manly show, isn't it, guys? But, but you know, they take things that are broken, that have value, but they're broken, and they restore them. And that is a story that you and I, I mean, do we not love those stories? We love those stories like on Biggest Loser because we know how much stinking work it takes to lose weight. You know, we know we like watching American Restoration because we know, even if we don't know how, we know that it takes a ton of work to make something rusted look shiny and beautiful again. So there's something just intrinsically human about loving a good restoration story. And I'm telling you tonight, God's story is exactly that. I believe it's why we're so connected to those stories. God's story is one of redemption and transformation. This is his story that we're going to talk about. It is an epic story. And we're going to center on a text tonight that Paul wrote. It's in it's the church, uh, the Galatian church. It's in Galatians 6. So if you want to turn your Bibles, we'll be here on and off throughout the evening. Galatians 6, 14 through 16 is where we're going to camp out tonight. And I just want to, and as you're turning to it, let me just kind of set a foundation because there's, we're, we're, all, we're all at different points in our spiritual walk, right? Some of us have been doing a long time. Some of us are brand new. Some of us might even be here just kind of testing the waters to see if it's worth jumping in, right? So let me just encourage you with this, the, that serving God, being a Christian is about following Jesus. And following Jesus is about having a relationship with Jesus. One of the most dominant lies about serving God is that it's some kind of behavioral system, a code that we all have to work really hard to adhere to so that we can somehow be okay. How many times have you heard someone say, man, I'm going to get to church just as soon as I get myself together? Well, I appreciate the sentiment. I really do. But we don't get ourselves together. God gets us together. We submit to him. We put ourselves in a position where he can work with us. And so to the person that'd say, well, I'm going to start coming to church once I get myself together, I'd say, wait no longer, get in church. It's hopeless. You will not get yourself together. If you could have, you would have done it 20 years ago when you wanted to, you know? So, so that's, that's kind of the context for those of you who might be new is say, listen, what we're talking about tonight, we're talking about joining hands with, with God. We're talking about joining hands with Jesus, following him when we don't know what the next step is going to look like and just trusting him and allowing him to begin to do the transforming work that he does best. And so, are you in Galatians 6? At, starting in 14, as for me, may I never boast about anything. How much? 
anything, right? May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. We're going to talk about four thoughts tonight. And this is thought number one. Thought number one is this. God's story is about redemption and transformation. God's story is about redemption and transformation for the whole world. That's thought one. Why do I start with that? Because we were talking a couple of weeks ago about our story, right? Well, tonight I want to tell you what, there's a story that's much more important than your story. It's God's story. And the reason is, is that his story is a story of redemption and transformation. Well, what's the difference? Well, redemption talks about making something right. When you got saved, and for some of you who maybe have not made that decision, when someone gives you the opportunity to become saved, what does that mean? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept the free gift of grace that Jesus died on a cross for thousands of years ago. I'm going to say, you know what? I want in with that. I'm going to receive that. I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to allow then him to come alive on the inside of me through the power of the Holy Spirit and begin to change me. Boy, God forgive the person who thinks that they're going to get themselves together before accepting the work, right? Because that's how you get yourself together. It's by accepting the work of the cross. So the work of the cross is the power of God to fix things, to make things right, redemption, to redeem, right? To make things right. But then transformation is that long process of making things fall into line. So when you come up to this altar and say, I want to accept Jesus and I'm going to believe in my heart and I'm going to confess with my mouth like the scripture says, and I, and I know I am saved now, I believe it. What happens? You walk out of this line looking exactly like you did, going home to the same people you came from, dealing with the same consequences of sin that you were dealing with before you came to church. Um, very little changes in the natural, but what happens on the inside of you is in that moment through faith, God has covered your sins. He has literally just said, clean slate. Now we get that. We understand if someone came up right now and just said, here's all the money to pay off every debt that you have. We totally get it, right? That is a miraculous moment. Even more miraculous, God says, you spent a whole life sinning and I'm going to forgive it just like that. I'm going to apply the blood of Jesus to it. It's done. It's over. Now get up and start to be different. And then what happens is the transforming power of God begins to go into motion in your life. And it starts on that day one and it ends the day that you go home to be with Jesus in heaven. And it's a continual work that we're a part of. So thought one is that God's story that we're talking about tonight, an epic story, his story is about redemption and transformation for the whole world. Say this, it's not about me. See, we get to be a part of it, so it, it benefits us, but it's not about us. And one of the most healthiest attitudes that we can hold as a believer is to wake up every day and just say, today is not about me. It is about what God is doing on this earth, and it's about the part that I get to play following him. So Paul says, may I never boast about anything except for the cross. Why? The cross is the power of this redemption and transforming story. That's, that's the engine that drives this train. It's the power of the cross. It's the love that Jesus showed us when he hung on that cross. So the cross is the thing that makes all of this possible. And Paul says, may I never boast about another thing in my life except this one thing, the cross of Jesus Christ, because that has the power to save me and to transform me as we go forward. So it's not about my ability to get myself together. It's not about, well, you know, I've been a pretty good person. Most of my, forget it. You're not good enough. I'm going to tell you right now, the best person on earth is not good enough to, uh, to earn the grace of God that he gave us so freely. So Paul says in another way, in another book, he's talking to the Ephesian church now, same author, but in Ephesians 2, 8, he says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. 
Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he has planned for us a long time ago. So many people, when we say, I boast in nothing but the cross, what do you think about boasting? You're imagining yourself going, well, come on, I've been a pretty good guy, right? You know, let a, let a Cub Scout troop, chaperone my kid's field trip, you know, try not to tell any lies, try not to, you know, those kind of things. Those are the kind of things where people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. That's why I'm going to heaven. <clears throat> so we're familiar with thinking higher of ourselves than we ought. But there's another kind of boasting that we can do. And in fact, it's the boasting that I actually hear more often. It's the boasting in the power of our weaknesses as some kind of deterrent that would say that we shouldn't serve God or that God isn't going to be able to do what he said through us because of, well, you don't know what they did to me. You didn't know what I did to them. You don't know what kind of mess I created. You don't know my short weaknesses. You don't know that sin that I continually stumble around more than I care to admit to anybody. And so what we do is we boast in those weaknesses as somehow having the power to undo the power of redemption and transformation, which is God's story. So we were, we're equally boasting when we say that God's story is not enough for whatever thing that we've found ourselves in. So I hope tonight we can kind of put that lie to rest. But that's when Paul talks about me. I never boasting. The work of God's story is epic. Have you heard kids say that all the time now? I feel so old when I say this, but you know, the young kids, they're like, man, so epic, man. <laughs> right? That car is so epic. That song is so epic, man. Your haircut is so epic. What? Right? Have you heard it? I'm not the only one, right? Okay. So we're all sounding old tonight together, right? Those young whippersnappers and their epic. Epic talks about something being of a scope that is so much bigger in scale and size than anything in the ordinary realm, right? So, so epic is something that's just, I mean, it's like not even in the same category as anything else. God's story of redemption and transformation is, can you say it with me? Epic. I mean, it's like the most powerful thing that you have ever come against. You can't judge it by anything else you've ever experienced because it's in a class of its own. His ability to love you, to redeem you, and then to guide you in, in, in the area of transformation and to be able to establish your feet and to bring you out of the miry clay and up onto a rock and to begin to put you forward and put you in the right place at the right time. It's epic. God so loved the world. Say, it's not about me. Say, I get to benefit, but it's not all about me. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? And so that's the kind of epic story. Now, this is what, if you're not convinced yet, check this out. I've been reading Isaiah. I love, it turns out I love Isaiah. I've read it here and there over the years. Never really had a personal connection to it. But, but this month I've been reading Isaiah and I just have fallen in love with it. It's a great story. It's Old Covenant, but it's so relevant to what we are. It's talking to, about God's people who had forsaken him and forgotten him and how because of forgetting him, they were going to have to go through some real doo-doo, right? And how many of we go through that same kind of thing when we forget about God? But then God says, I'm telling you, I'm not going to save you from the consequences of your actions because you need to go through them in order to learn from them. But there's promise, but I'm, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to bring you back to me. I'm going to make you better than you were when you started. That's God's, you, that's that redemptive story that all way, 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 way back there. And he's talking all about Jesus. He's not just talking about their deliverance from Babylon. He's talking about our deliverance from sin when Jesus comes. Such a beautiful story. And, I, and, and, the, and the prophet Isaiah is speaking God's words. And this is in two different places. This is what God says to, over his people once they're in captivity, and he's talking about how eventually they'll be out of captivity. He'll deliver them. He says this, 
I, yes, I alone, right? Lest any of us boast and think it's about us. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake, and I will never think of them again. Wow. And then five chapters later, he says this, I will rescue you. First, he says, I will um, blot out your sins. Now he says, I will rescue you for my sake. Yes, for my own sake. Say, it's not about me. It's God's story, right? He says he's doing it for his sake. Yeah, he loves you. Absolutely. Is he committed to helping you? Is he love you like crazy? He sure does. But you know what? This story is a lot bigger than me and you. This story is not about, we can shoot, we can take it or leave it. And it's not going to change God one bit. He's still going to be a part of this story. So the question is, do we want to plug in to a bigger story than the story of our life? Do we want to put the who, what, where, when, and why aside and just go after his story, right? And that's what we're talking about. So the first point is this. God's story is about redemption and transformation. That's just what he does. He takes things that are broken. He, he, he heals them and forgives them. And then over a process of time, he restores them, right? Thought number one. Thought number two, God's story changes everything. God's story changes everything. Jesus' crucifixion signifies my own death. It signifies your death. Death to the old person, but life to the new person. Listen to what Paul says. If we go on in Galatians 6, where we've been, if we start in the second half of verse 14, Paul says this. Remember, he was talking about not boasting in anything but the power of the cross. Now he says, because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. Why? Let's, let's read another place really quickly. Galatians 2.20. You all know that scripture. I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the flesh by faith. I'm paraphrasing. I hope it's close. In the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. That's what he's saying. What, what do you mean I'm crucified? The power of the cross is this. He took the old you and, and crucified all that with him. But the good news is when he rose from the dead, so did your new life. So did the ability for you to no longer be labeled by your sin, no longer identified by the brokenness in your history, but you have a fresh start. All things are new in Christ when we come after him. And so he said, because of the cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. So apart, you can't resurrect and become new until you die. Do you know that? That's just kind of like the reality to all this. This is the kind of thing everyone always has to tell someone when they get saved is, listen, you're going to live forever with God in your life, and God is going to do some amazing things, but you're going to have to die. That's kind of the, the, the reality. You're, the old you is going to have to die. You can't take the favorite parts of your old you with you and discard the, the bad parts. You got to give it all to him. And so that's what Paul says when I'm crucified with Christ, but this is what happens. My interest in the world changes. God's story changes everything. So when God's story of transformation and redemption changed my life, what hap- one of the first things that happened is my interest in the things of the world begins to change. And that's a good thing. All of a sudden, the world is not the final end-all be-all, is it? All of a sudden, the world is just a project that God is in the middle of. My, real- my reality is heaven. My reality is living forever in the presence of God. So then what does this mean right now? This is a temporary situation that we're called to be a steward in. And we're, we're called to pull in and tap in to God's redemptive and transforming story, be a part of a story so much bigger than just, man, I hope I can eventually afford to drive that car and live in a house this big and have this wife. And, you know, I mean, those things are awesome, but they are so temporary. They are a grain of sand on the beach of eternity. And so we don't want to spend too much of our life focusing on those things when eternity is at stake. 
And so my desire for the world changes, but something you may have missed if you've ever read this before, it says that the world's desire for me changes. How many of you realize your relationships changed when you started following Jesus? How many of you knew some people all of a sudden weren't very interested in hanging out with you? How many of you know some people became interested in hanging out with you, which maybe, maybe that was a win. But what happens is, man, that transforming power of God, it just begins to change everything. It changed the way you look, the way you talk, the things you're interested in. And people, if you're really living it, man, people know pretty quickly and it will change things. And so we just have to be willing to be changed. It's a part of the transforming process. And it's the part of recalibrating us to really care about eternity and to make it count. For me, um, I had to, one of the transforming processes for me has been, and maybe you've been in the same situation, coming to a point where I just don't have to make a name for myself. How many of you have been raised to make a name for yourself? I just want to make, a, I want to make my kids proud. I want to make a lot of money. I want to, I want to be the best at what I do. I, want to, I just want to have a legacy. I want people to remember that I was a great guy. Um, you know, and then in your specific realm, there's certain accolades that would be considered making a name for yourself. And I think that's normal. That's part of being a, a hard worker. And those are some of the things that drive us in the beginning. But over years and years, I had to begin to let that die. Because what happened was the pursuit of that began to change change my perspective from eternity to a temporary situation, which is really just a restoration project. It's going to come and it's going to go. I want to be about the big story. And so part of God's big story for me personally was beginning to die to some of those desires. But one of the great things about dying to your desires is that many times it's, uh, the Bible says a seed has to die before it can go in the ground and produce a harvest. Many times the thing that God asks you to give up is actually just a seed process. And as you plant that seed in the ground and that thing seemingly dies, what it does is it's like pruning. It makes way for much bigger growth. And so when you look back, you go, man, I'm so glad I didn't just hold on to that seed because as much as that felt like a harvest at the time, I was nothing compared to what I'm holding today. And so that's, that, that's just something that I've had to uh, be transformed in the area. Now, here's the third thought. Remember the first thought? God's story is about redemption and transformation for the world. Not about me. It's not my story. It's his story. Two, thought two, God's story changes everything. So count the cost, right? I mean, it's going to change everything and it should change everything. And here's the third thought. God's epic story should be continually transforming me, transforming us. God's epic story should be continually transforming us. See, this is kind of what separates the men from the boys. There's a certain group of contingency of people in the world that pray a prayer and then continue to live their life like nothing changed. And, and, and it becomes what we joke like fire insurance. Well, I'm going to get to skip hell because I prayed a prayer. But, but the real story of what God's doing is one where you receive forgiveness, but then what it does is it moves you and mobilizes you and moves you forward in the transforming work. And you spend your whole life being changed by him. So we don't want to just pray a prayer. We want to be new. We want to be transformed. That's the power of the gospel is the power of being transformed and walking and following after Jesus and becoming more like him and, and having a larger part of his story. Some of the happiest people on earth are people who are a part of that big story. And uh, that's where we want to be. So his epic story should be continually transforming us. And, and think of it this way. The same power that, I'm, that you and I are counting on to save us, right? I mean, we were, we're hoping God is serious when he says, I've forgiven your sins. I've forgotten them as far as the east is from the west. We are counting on his ability to do that, are we not? That's an act of faith. We're counting, we're, we're counting on his ability to secure our entire eternity forever, Right? So that same power that we're counting on by faith is also the same power that should be continually transforming us from this point for the rest of our life. 
That's the same power. You can't have one power without the other power. So that, so what we need to do is we need to get in the game, man. We need to, we need to tap into this big story and allow that transforming power of God to continue to move us. Now, I've asked just a couple of people um, to share just like one minute or less to share one thing that God had. Brad, I'll start with you, okay? And then Becca, I'll get to you, okay? I'll, Brad, come on up, Brad. You, asked, you heard from Brad a second ago. Give him a, give him a hand. Make him welcome here. Okay, very good. Hi, Brad. How you doing? Good to see you. So one minute or less, what is something that God has transformed in your life, either recently or since you started serving him? Well, recently, I would think that uh, we just came through a focus group. And uh, one of the things we talked about in there was our gifts, callings, our talents, and things like that. And a lot of times we look at our callings and we kind of, they're things that we really want to do. They're things that are out there, but there always seems to be behind us until we kind of clear through the clutter of life. And then once we clear through that clutter, well, then we can get that calling out and then we can go for it. But one thing we talked about and we realized that, I, I think for me, is that, you know, that calling, I, we can now put that right in front of us. And what we realize is a lot of the things that we're doing right now are foundational or supportive to that calling. And it keeps us driving towards that calling. As we drive towards that calling, as if we really look around and pay attention, there's people along the way that we're helping, that are helping us, and we're, we're getting blessed by that. So we're, we're seeing the residual come from putting that calling in front of us, putting God in front of us, going towards that, and not trying to clean up the, kind of like what you talked about, trying to clean everything up before we're ready to really launch out into that. There you go. Give him a hand. That's good transformation. You guys relate to that? You identify with that? Becca, how about you? Give Becca a hand. Becca, tell us. What, tell us in one minute or less, how has God transformed your life? One minute? I'm a talker. I'm just kidding. Um, no. Minute and a half. Go. No. Um, the biggest thing for me has been my perspective. I was a people pleaser. I was really worried about what everybody thought about me. I felt like I didn't have an identity unless somebody told me I did. I just was really consumed by who people said I was. And then when I broke away from that, I was like, oh, who am I? And so now my perspective is when people judge me, and I've, I've made a lot of mistakes, I've done a lot of things, and a lot of people know, and I feel like when they judge me now, I have a piece about it because I don't... God doesn't judge me that way. He doesn't look at me the way the world sees me. And now I feel more powerful when people come to me and try to judge me or say, well, I saw you do this, or I hear you do this. And I can say, but here I am now. It, it's a perspective issue, really. It's just that's, that's been the biggest transformation for me. Yes. Powerful. Excellent. Yeah, it's spot on. Um, you know, th- this is what Paul said. If you read, remember we're in Galatians 6, in verse 15 he said this. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. <clears throat> may seem odd that we're bringing that up. We'll explain. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. What he's talking about in circumcision, and most many of you in the room tonight you know exactly what we're talking about. But for those of you who don't, in the old covenant, before Jesus came, we were in this system of sin and sacrifice. You could not please God if you sinned. You're helpless to not sin. So God had to institute a system of all kinds of laws, hundreds and hundreds of laws that you did your very best to keep. And when you couldn't keep those laws, then you would have to sacrifice an animal to make atonement for your sin. And so you can imagine that kind of perspective and system where you're just continually trying to do the right thing in the flesh and then failing miserably and having to pay a price for it and then going back and trying again. And so... What happened was God set his people aside 
And he said, listen, for you to be able to activate this covenant, you need to become circumcised. Probably all know what that is, right? Don't need to explain that. That was just an outward sign of a covenant that God had, that the, the, the men had to do, right? So it was, it was not only a sign that you were in covenant with God, but it was actually the thing by which God honored whether you would be a part of the covenant or not. So it was that important. You had to do it, right? So what Paul is referring to in the new covenant, now Jesus finally came and said, listen, thanks for trying, but you, <laughs> you can't keep the law. You, you, your, your sacrifices will never keep up to the, the amount of sin. I'm going to come be the perfect sacrifice and once and for all make you righteous. And then I'm going to let the power of the Holy Spirit come into your life and begin to transform you so that you can walk more in my likeness. Okay. So that's what happened. So what Paul's saying is after Jesus came, there were a bunch of people who probably were circumcised who said, hey, why are we lifting the requirement on circumcision? We paid our dues. Make them do it too, right? I mean, we're, well, look at us. We're, we're upstanding. You know, we're, we're God's people. And he said, listen, it's not about that anymore. Now the transformation is not outer affecting inner. Now the transformation is inner affecting outer. So it's a, it's a complete reversal. How about this? How about if I just radically change the inside of you so that over time you begin to change and be more like me instead of trying to make you look like me in hopes that somehow inwardly it will catch up. So we have a way better covenant. We have a way better system. And what Paul's saying is the people is, listen, it doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. That's the power of the cross right there, right? Because you could be circumcised and not follow God and have no power in your life. So he's saying, forget about that. Forget about it. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. So transformation makes things new. And that's what we said. That's God's story, man. He is all about forgiving and transforming, redeeming, transforming you, making all things new. And so here's thought four. Because naturally we say, okay, we want, we want to be transformed, right? Are you convinced? I want to be transformed. Well, this is how we do it. Thought four. Transformation comes as we abide in God's story. Transformation comes as we abide or kind of hold in be a part of, take shelter in. And I'm going to show you five ways that we abide, okay? Really simple things to write down. Number one, believe God. The Bible says in, says in uh, 1 John 4, it says, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So first key to abiding and, and abiding means allowing God to bring that transformation power to change your life. That's what happens when you abide in him. How do we abide? One, we believe God, right? You just simply have to believe him. You got to abide in that love. And as you do it, you abide in him, but he abides in you. It's a two-way street. And so you experience his love. And what do we know about transforming power? The love of God transforms us. It has the power to forgive sins. It has the power to restore and redeem and to uphold. And so first we believe God. Second, stay in the story. Don't put the book down. You know, don't skip ahead to see how it ends. Stay in the story. This is why it says in first John two, therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning, right? Let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. It's what you heard from the beginning that abides in you. You will also abide in the son and the father. So again, you have to make a decision to stay in the game. There's many people that have known a lot of great things. They probably knew more Bible than you know right now, but they're on the sidelines of life today because they just stopped. And there's only one way that you and I are going to fail, and that's if we stop. It's the only way. God's faithful to finish the things that he's begun in us. So number two, stay in the story. Three, depend on God. That sounds kind of silly because we're all like, yeah, I depend on God. 
Live your life in such a way that depends on God. Don't just wait until you get into crisis to depend on God. Make decisions every single day that puts you in a place where you have to depend on God. This is what the Bible says. This is Jesus talking in John 15. He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit. Pastor John was talking about this recently. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So we have to live in a continual state of dependence upon God. So if you wake up in the morning and say, man, I'm really dependent on God today. Good. You should be. That's you're probably in the right place. Depend on God. Number four, obey God. How many of you know the book, the love languages? Five love languages. Nobody? Raise your hand. There you go. I know you're here. You want to know what God's love language is? Obedience. Obey God. That's how you love him. That's how he knows you love him, how, how, how he knows you trust him. Bible says that uh, now this, by this, this is in um, 1 John 2. Now by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? Is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this, we know that we are in him or abiding in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. That's obeying God, walking as he walked. And if you skip down in 1 John 2, it says the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. You want to abide forever? You want to continually be in a place where the transforming power of God is not only saving you, but, but restoring you and empowering you and pressing you and stretching you. Well, you can be in that position forever if you'll obey God, if you'll just stay with him and abide in him. And the fifth is to love people. You know, they, they asked Jesus of all the commandments, hundreds and hundreds of commandments in the old covenant to please God. What, what's the most important commandment? And what does he say? To love God and to love people. So it's, it, it's impossible for us to not love God and love people and to be fulfilling the commandments because it's an integral part of who we are. The Bible says that we have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. So if that love is in you, but you don't extend it to people, then there's a disconnect. And so by loving people, it says that no one has seen God at any time. This is first John four. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. So we allow the love of God to become perfected in us when we love others. So here's the irony as we close. Here's the irony. We talked in the beginning about Paul saying that I, I won't boast in anything but the power of the cross. So one would think that the more that we are transformed by God, you know, we're saved, and then we endure. Maybe you've been saved for 10 years, and, and God's been really doing a work, and you know that, man, like some of the, like Becca and Brad have shared, you can say, man, I definitely know that I'm better at this than I was a year ago or two years ago. Wouldn't you think that there would be more to boast about if you stay in the game and God's transforming power is working in you? And yet, if there's anything that we learn as we serve God is that there's less and less and less to boast about because the more that we are transformed, the larger God's story becomes in reality to us and the more insignificant we seem. See, God allows us, the transforming work allows us to be a part of a bigger and a bigger and a bigger part of his story. He begins to put you in places where you need him more desperately than you ever needed him. He begins to put you in situations where you do not in your own strength have the ability or the answers to help people. And all of a sudden, the story that you, you stepped in one day, you were just happy because you finished your Bible reading plan and you're paying your bills. And the next day he puts you into another story where all of a sudden you've, you, you need answers for situations that you've never been a part of before. And you don't know how to help people and you're face to face with extreme tragedy and loss and you, you don't know what to do. 
you realize that God's story is so much bigger than me. And so the more that we're transformed, the more we become like Jesus, ironically, even the less that we have anything to boast about because we realize how tiny (laughs) we are and what an honor it is that God lets us be a part of this epic story of redemption and transformation. So let me just summarize these four thoughts. God's story is the story of redemption and transformation for the entire world. It's not just about me. Say it. It's not about me. It's God's story. Number two, God's story changes everything. Number three, God's epic redemption story should be continually transforming us. The same power that saved us is the same power that's transforming us. And it should be that way. And thought four, transformation comes as we abide in God's story, as we believe, as we stay in the story, as we depend on him, as we obey him, as we love him. And what we find is what the scriptures say, Christ in me is the hope of glory. What happens is the more that we abide in him, he promises to abide in us. And that abiding in us is that transforming power at work in our lives. And what we realize is we have nothing to boast about except the power of the cross and that hope of glory, which is Christ on the inside of us. Amen. We hope this message encouraged you. Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following Him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and His gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus, and I commit to trust your plan for my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. To learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at victorylafayette.org.